It's a huge pleasure to be speaking here at NIG. Uh, a few years ago, not that many years ago, there were two people employed in this entire complex. That was Carol and Ian. And they're still here, but there's another 1,500 folk here as well, uh, which is really, really important. 1,200 expanding to 1,500. And uh, there's going to be 1,200 folk through the the Skills Academy over the next two years. In fact, some of the people here, I last met them when they were going through the Skills Academy as, as trainees. Uh, so it's really great to be back at NIG when this place is being restored to its proper position as the beating industrial heart of the Highlands of Scotland. It is wonderful to be back in these sheds and see them as a, a hive of activity as they should be. And there's a bit of a connection between that point and the speech I'm about to make uh, because the revival of NIG demonstrates uh, that a major industrial plant can be in the Highlands of Scotland. The Scottish Open at Castle Stewart just now demonstrates that a major international sporting event can be in the Highlands of Scotland. And this speech demonstrates you can make a speech about the future of the country in the Highlands of Scotland. And all that is as it should be. Now, 300 years ago, Fletcher Saltoon was one of the MPs in the, in the Scots Parliament. Uh, he was one of the MPs who wouldn't want a 10% pay rise, incidentally. And Fletcher Saltoon was talking about the union between Scotland and England. And what he said was something which was very modern. He said, all nations are dependent one upon the many, this we know. But he warned, if the greater will always swallow the lesser, we will all be diminished. And even at 300 years distance, what Fletcher Saltoon realized is that countries would be interdependent, were already interdependent, but he, was, and he would recognize the, the things you do here at Global Energy. It would astonish him, the technology certainly, but what wouldn't astonish him would be that it was capable to work across, I think it's 12 countries and six continents uh, from Scotland, because he would have understood the phenomena we now describe as globalization. He would have understood that countries are interdependent. If you work here for, uh, for servicing a, a worldwide industry. But he also recognized the, the danger, as he saw, of large states. He warned that the Scotland that he loved would uh, flicker and die, that the lights would go out in Scotland. And quite incredibly, Earlier this year, there was a UK government document, and I've got the exact quote here, just in case you think I'm making it up. It argued in page 75 of a London government document this year, quote, Scotland certainly was extinguished as a matter of international law by merger either into an enlarged and renamed England or into an entirely new state. So I don't think that would have surprised, it would certainly have saddened Fletcher and Saltoon, but it wouldn't have surprised him because that was the danger that he saw. And he wouldn't have been surprised either that the only Conservative MP in the whole of the country actually said he agreed with that statement, that Scotland was extinguished, as the UK government document put it. But there are parcels of rogues in every generation. There's a parcel of rogues at Westminster at the present moment who are manoeuvring to deliver themselves a 10% pay rise when the rest of the public sector is getting 
You know, one of the less quoted, but it's nonetheless an attractive argument for independence, is that if you remove the, the Lairds of the Commons and the Lords and the Lords and the supernumeraries in the Scotland office in London, then our, we would save as a country £50 million. That's just Scotland's share of that. And for £50 million, you could have 1,200 teachers or 1,100 nurses. In fact, just about anything else would be better value than that. And there's parcel of rogues, not just in the, the House of Commons just now, but there's a parcel of rogues in the No campaign. Uh, and they've been caught out big time in the last few weeks in what they describe themselves as Operation Fear. That's the campaign to scare people in Scotland out of voting for independence. I mean, they claimed a couple of weeks ago that, that mobile phone charges would go up if Scotland became independent. And they actually did it on the very day the European Commission was eliminating and starting to eliminate these charges across Europe. They, they said that Scotland would be dependent on the UK's AAA status for borrowing. And then they proceeded to lose that for the, for the UK. They actually said that UK embassies would no longer promote Scotch whisky. And then it was realised that actually UK embassies charge for whisky receptions and promotions at the present moment. And I don't actually think the international whisky industry is dependent on the promotion from the UK embassies. And yesterday the Ministry of Defence were musing uh, that they could annex Fast Lane and make it a crown territory if Scotland it became independent. Now, all of this delusional nonsense is what the Better Together campaign themselves describe as project fear. But scare stories are going to give way to reason. And a campaign based on hope will always beat a campaign based on fear. So what I'm going to say today is what about independence actually means in the modern world. What is independence as a country? What does it mean in today's world? I think it's about the, the right to choose. It's about the right to choose policies we like. It's about the right to have a government which intervenes and leads and protects people. It's about the right to decide which things work for us uh, and which don't. See, despite the UK government's language, Scotland actually was never extinguished by the Union in 1707. Uh, Scotland remained. Scotland did not become North Britain. It never actually caught on the idea that Scotland should become North Britain, particularly when it realised that England didn't want to be called South Britain. But the concept of that never really caught on. And what actually happened in the years, last 300 years, when there was more participation by the state, when we got a social security system, when the public services became entrenched, is that it became a consistent demand for democratic control of these services. And when major Scottish industries, whether they were public or private sector, got under control of London, there was a demand for more democracy. And that carried through from Keir Hardy to the Home Rule Association to the Scottish Covenant in the 1940s, right to the cross-party campaign and the successful referendum in 1997, right through the rise of the Scottish National Party in recent years. It's a campaign, a desire of people in Scotland to have more democratic control. What do we need? We need a, a government, a modern government, a social democratic government that can lead, protect, include people in the modern world. 
What we've got in London is a dysfunctional state where political, financial, economic power is concentrated in the south of England, where the super rich are rewarded with tax cuts and when the people who are up against it are threatened with the, the bedroom tax. I'm 58 years old, I know I don't look it, but I'm definitely 58 years old, last time I counted, for two-thirds of my life, two-thirds of my life, Scotland has been ruled by governments which we didn't vote for. Two-thirds of my entire life, Scotland has voted one way but had a different government at Westminster, which is not democratic. And of course, since the advent, the reconvening of the Scots Parliament, we've done some very good things. We've reintroduced free education, free healthcare, free care for the elderly. We've frozen the council tax. We've helped to protect key public services in Scotland. But devolution can only mitigate policies from Westminster. There's lots of things we can't do. We've got a quarter of the European Union's renewable energy potential. One quarter of the tidal and wave and offshore wind power in the whole of Europe. And yet a lot of that investment's been delayed because the UK government controls electricity market reform and that's delayed the investment. We've got two thirds of Europe's oil production in Scotland. And yet the investment boom we're currently seeing in the North Sea was delayed by years because of the tax changes that were imposed by the UK government. That investment boom is dramatic now. This year it was thought to be 13 billion of investment in the North Sea. It's actually going to be more like 20 billion. And some of it's taking shape in the uh, big swimming pool you've got out there in Nig. We can't clear our country of nuclear weapons because that's controlled from London. We can't uh, have an influence in a society which has become one of the most unequal in the developed world. You take a, across the water three countries, uh, Denmark, Sweden, Norway. Countries which do different things in terms of their international alliances. Norway is not in the European Union, but they are in NATO. Sweden's not in NATO, but they are in the European Union. Denmark's in both. Each of these countries is more prosperous and more equal than the UK, dramatically so. They're more equal and more prosperous societies. A generation ago, Scotland and Norway discovered oil in similar quantities. At that time, Scotland was marginally richer than Norway per head. Norway is now 60% richer than the UK or Scotland. 60% in a generation. Now, with independence, decisions about Scotland's future will be taken by the people who can take the best decisions. That's the people who stay, live, and work in Scotland. We could stop the bedroom tax. We could stop thousands of Scottish children being threatened with poverty as a result of the UK government's war and welfare. We could get the best childcare system in Europe. We could use our tax powers to encourage innovation and enterprise. We could have a modern constitution which protects the rights of the people of Scotland. We could have a fairer and more prosperous society. The political and economic union the one entered into 300 years ago, 
isn't working for Scotland. But one of the points I want to make is this. I think we have to change that and change it fundamentally. But there are other arrangements that we have that can continue, with some changes certainly that continue. And I've been counting them up and I've identified five other unions that we are part of that I think we should stay part of. There's the European Union, the Defence Union through NATO, there's a currency union, there's the Union of the Crowns, and there's a social union between the people of these islands. I think we should keep these because I think they're good things. I think we should stay in the European Union. I don't think we should get caught up in a debate about withdrawal. I don't think it's going to help anyone, and I don't think it's the sort of politics we should engage in. I think we should stay in NATO, and I think we should be nuclear-free, like 25 out of the 28 other countries in NATO. I think we should keep sterling as our currency because it's as much our currency as England's currency. In fact, the Bank of England were founded by a Scot, and we've got as much claim to it as anyone else, and we do the bulk of our trade with other countries in these islands. I think we should keep the Union of the Crowns, and I think uh, Her Majesty the Queen can be queen of 17 independent countries instead of the 16 that she's head of state of at the present moment. And all these unions, that's the European Union, the Defence Union, the Currency Union, the Union of the Crowns, we can keep because basically they're good things. Not keep them without changes. For example, we can keep the Union of the Crowns, but we can still have a, a modern constitution, a written constitution that protects the rights of the people, but nonetheless keep them. But you know, there's a, another union, the social union, which is not about a choice. It's not about something that politicians do. After Scotland's uh, independent, we'll still be able to watch the X Factor and EastEnders, if that's what folk want to do. People in England will still be able to cheer Andy Murray at Wimbledon. And people in Scotland will still be able to cheer the Lions, even when there are no many Scots in the tea. So all of that stuff will continue. People will still be able to change jobs if they want. They can move to Dundee and Dublin, from Manchester to Glasgow. All of that is a social union. It's not about border controls or whatever the latest Whitehall scare story or project fear is of the day. It's about the free movement of people. You take, for example, the Channel Islands and Island Man. We're part of a, an arrangement of free travel. And these are islands which are not even in the European Union but are part of a, an arrangement of free travel with the Republic of Ireland across Europe. Under independence, we can keep and share the ties of language, of culture, of trade, family, friendship. None of these things are dependent on a parliament in London. In fact, it's ludicrous to suggest they're dependent on a parliament in London. So let's get back and finish into the world is envisaged by Fletcher of Saltoon all these years ago. That he saw the world was interdependent, that nations were dependent one upon the other. That was natural and sensible. But he didn't think that should mean Scotland sacrificing its independence. And in this interdependent world that we have, if we can change that political and economic union so as we regain democratic control over our economy and our society. We can keep the other arrangements, the other five unions. The priority, the thing we absolutely have to do, 
is to change that political and economic view. We've got to reclaim the right and ability to devise policies and programs that will take this country forward. It's entirely possible to see this country as one of the most successful, prosperous countries in the world. Few countries on earth have our combination of natural and human resources. We could aspire, we could achieve exactly that status. And it's also right that this country becomes a more equal society. Nobody wants to live, certainly I don't, in a society which is at the bottom of the Equality League. Nobody wants to live in a society where there is an enormous gap between those who are prosperous and those who are at the hidden end. Nobody should want to live in that sort of country, and there's no reason why we should. It's not the Scottish sentiment, it's not the Scottish ideal. But if we want to build that future, then we're going to have to claim it. And we're going to have to change fundamentally that political and economic union. It's not going to be given to us, it's not going to be granted. We have to vote for it. And next year we'll have the opportunity. London won't concede it. They have turned down point blank any request for more economic powers or real economic powers. If we want to change it, if we want to build that society, then we take our opportunity next year and vote for it and build that more prosperous and more just country. Thanks very much. Thank you.